Through the dog days of summer, I wore a coat and a tie. I'm talking July, 120, coat and tie. Now you people start to show back up, and it looks like I'm headed to play with the Lady Nine Haulers and then play Mahjong and have tea afterwards. I mean, this is, this is pathetic. Uh, thanks for not firing me as your pastor. Yet, yet. So uh, anyway, this is not being, me being self-indulgent, but I do need to just let you, I'm going to tell you the quick story so that there is an end result in this, so that you don't have to ask me or anything, and we, if I see you in the lobby or before, then I, we can talk about you, because I much prefer talking about you than I do this. So uh, yeah, seven months ago, I was, um, I was defending my family from an intruder, I'm sorry, Lord. I, no, I, we had started a new fellowship at Shady Oaks and Hollis and Donna Sullivan, and, and uh, we have, it's in Fort Worth. So I was there speaking to that group. We had 30-some-odd men. It was right in the halls of Ben Hogan. That's where, you know, Hogan's Haunt was and his little place he practiced on the back of the range, if you, any of you are golfers. And uh, it was awesome. Came home and said, okay, I'm not, I don't have to play golf for weeks. And there's a guy that I was, had been sharing Jesus with, and he asked me, Can, would you come out the next day? And so 6.30 in the morning, we'll be done by this. And I said, sure. And I was, uh, hitting, I was in transitioning from here to here, and it just exploded. My wrist exploded. So I was ca- pretty much cast all. I had a cast most of the summer, did all that, did not take effect, ended up having surgery last week on Thursday evening. And... Uh, and I was going to try to preach on Sunday, and Laura says, there is no way you're going to do that. I was kind of coughing and still kind of a sore throat. I will tell you, I've never had surgery before, so I was never, ever under anesthesia. And many of you have knees, and you have this, and then some of you have had your chest opened up, and you've been through unbelievable things. I was always sympathetic, but now I am empathetic. I mean, it has changed the way I view I literally thought, I told some people, I literally thought I was going to go into his office, he was going to say, pull up your sleeve, he's going to, like, a, you know, getting a tooth done, put, put a little needle in there, and he'd say, turn your head, he's going to do the little surgery, and then back, and that wasn't what happened at all. So they did a peripheral nerve block, I'll finish with this very self-indulgent story, but see, now you don't have to ask me any of these questions anymore. What happened? How are you? And I'll just, I'm fine, everything's going to be fine. But they did a peripheral nerve block, and there's, I will use this in a sermon, not today, but coming, and I was completely numb from here down. I had no idea where my arm was in space, so my arm could be over here or over here, and I would reach for it. I couldn't find it. I li- zero, zero for not tw- almost 24 hours. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced in my life. And they said, you better sleep with a sling as you sleep. And I said, what? And I, and I did this thing, and my arm would go flailing around. I knocked Laura out twice. And uh, in the middle of the night, I, I felt her arm come over the top of me, and I reached down, and I kind of grabbed her fingers, and I said, man, her fingers are so fat. It was my fingers. I had no idea what was going on. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, this has been a long, arduous process of which I have grown uh, through a little bit of suffering, so... Violins, please. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you very much. My father-in-law is here. He alluded to uh, Green Beret and all that. And all you who have served, unbelievable. We celebrate your life, your sacrifice. Uh, we, we, we live on a different plane, but we are Americans. But we live on a different plane. We, care, we pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. 
We, we, you know, this is, you know, there's a plane that we live on, and then yet we're still part of an earthly uh, country, and we've been put here and all that, and so we honor those who have uh, sacrificed in so many different ways, and uh, awesome. So, are you ready for this? Uh, I have only five minutes left for the rest of the deal, but that's okay. You say, how was church today? It was, it was the most awesome, it was the most awesome announcements that we've ever experienced in our life, and it was the shortest Jeff ever preached, which is what we've been praying for, for many, many years, and so Jesus does answer prayer. Lord Jesus, we need your help today. We're going to be talking about something, uh, Lord, that is so near and dear to my heart. It's the journey and how to, how to navigate the journey. And so, Lord, as always, when we open your word, we are desperately dependent upon your Holy Spirit to give us insight, wisdom, discernment, because as we'll see today, we are all in such radically different places in our walk. I see some of the folks in here, and I just go, man, that just looks more and more like Jesus every day. I feel his presence in them. They are living sacrifices. And others that may come in and, and maybe a little bit of a bewildered look uh, to Bob and, and, and Vicky's point, you know. Uh, not everybody can see the, the, it's just like disparate pieces of a puzzle. And so, Lord, we, we want to be here for everybody. But that in itself is a very challenging thing to do. So we need your help. So speak to everybody. Someone who is wondering if Jesus was in fact who he said he was, or somebody who's been studying the word for 50 years, Lord, 50 years, awesome. Be with us in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I get this periodically from Social Security now. You know, they send you the, your little annual thing about your progress and what you can anticipate your Social Security payments to be. If you're so now, I, they changed for me because I was just after the, the 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 delineation. So now I think it's 62. Full retirement age for me is 67. So I'm only a couple years away from 62. If I want to take the low amount, and then you hold off a little bit, and then you can take this. And we've got some financial planners and some very smart people here that can you know help walk me through that when all that comes through. But I get this every once in a while, and I think it's pretty cool. You know, you can go back and you can see. Uh, see how much you made, you know, during these particular years. And from, you know, 1966 to 1980, I made $4,000 cumulatively, which is awesome. <laughs> and uh, I had one year where I, I literally, and this is after I was married, my total income was $542. And how we survived, I have no idea, but we did. Welcome to me being a failed golf professional. So, um, this is great for Social Security, and we have this for all kinds of things. We would say something to the effect of a progress report, right? How are we doing? How, how are you doing financially? What will this look like out, you know, as you project out 2, 5, 10, 15, 20, for some of you guys down here, you know, maybe, you know, 40, 50 years. So what will this look like? And, we, and, and the government is so kind to give us an update periodically, and yet... Oftentimes, we don't know how we're doing spiritually. We don't even know that there is a journey. Sometimes we hear that we can, well, you know, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and we have a, we have a little, and we can either open it or we can not open it, and, you know, and that maybe is all that you understand. You know, we finished before the Israel series and some other things that we've done, we were talking about in uh, Zacchaeus, and as we talked about Zacchaeus, we just ended with him giving all of his stuff away. And uh, that's it. And we don't hear anything more about Zacchaeus. And I always wondered, what happened to Zacchaeus after that? Where, what did his journey look like? 
What did, what did the, I, I'm sure he would have been there, you know, I don't know, but I'm sure the Holy Spirit would have been poured out on him. He, he was definitely going to be a follower of Jesus. And what did that look like? Did he just kind of go back and then eventually just kind of fade back into what he was doing before? I don't think so. I think that was in a radical upheaval. But what did it look like two years, five years? Was he caught up in the persecution after the time of Jesus and maybe martyred? Was he? I, I don't know. We don't know anything about his progress. But I'm interested in his progress. And right after that, Jesus begins to teach about the minas. And so as I was thinking about that, I was ready to launch uh, a number of weeks back prior to what happened on October 7th with uh, the Middle East and all that. Uh, I, I was thinking about, okay, let's teach about the minas. And then, of course, immediately what goes through my mind is I think in three categories, generally. Now, there are even more nuanced categories than this, but three general categories. If you can pull that slide up, guys. Three general categories. When I'm assessing people, now, I'm not judging you. I'm not here to judge. I am not your judge at all. But I am tasked, as we are, and anybody who plays a role, whether they're discipling you or involved in your life or even preaching a sermon, we are tasked with assessing where you are so that we might best serve you. So in our assessment, I think of come, eat, and go. Come, eat, and go. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the first part. Now, what do I mean by that? I think of people in three different ways. And again, this can be many more nuanced ways than this. But generally, is this person still not yet opened the door? You can use any metaphor you want. Come out of Egypt and gone through the Red Sea, their baptism filled with the Spirit? Have they not opened the door? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Those who will open the door, turn the handle, you know, and I will come in. And, you know, and then he talks about all kinds of rest and abundant life and all this. Is someone still kicking the tires on the Jesus thing? Have they made the move out of Egypt and on into the wilderness? It's always a question you have to ask. There many times can be assumptions. I'm always cautious, and it's so challenging being up here and trying to deliver a word to you, knowing that there are people in here that don't yet even believe in God, and somehow they're here. And we welcome you. We always want an environment where you can come, even if you don't know that God exists, and just be around a community of people and watch them engage with one another and think and worship and corporately worship and all those things. We, you are so welcome here. Or if you're even watching on television or if you're watching online or whatever, we welcome you into the conversation because there aren't many places sometimes that you feel that you could maybe even ask questions or have conversations or think about this more deeply. This is a place for you. Knowing that that person is here this morning and then there's another person that's been studying. We have former pastors here. We have people that have been ministering for years in this congregation. Quite frankly, the Church of the Red Door is a very mature congregation in this season of our life. Once that shovel goes in the ground and once we do not a groundbreaking, but we do a grand opening, things are going to change at the Church at the Red Door. 
There's no question we'll become more of an integral part of the community and we'll have more people coming in. And I think the Lord has given us many very spiritually mature people, people that are adept in assessing and then coming to alongside. And that could be coffee with someone or that could be having a lunch with somebody. Very intentional, very aware. Who are those people? Those are people that have gone through the second stage, which is eating. Now, Equate this to the wilderness. They, they're eating. You know, I am, behold, I'm the manna that's come down from heaven. They're so used to eating the flesh and drinking the blood, and not just in terms of communion, but in terms of what Bob and Vicki were talking about, a daily engagement with the very living and active Word of God that they have been substantively transformed to the point that there is now no, go, no going back. There's a lot of people in the wilderness. Most of Israel, as we can see, they were so, oh, it was better for us in Egypt. It was better when we were there. And they're still thinking about the flesh pots of Egypt. Even though they were in slavery, they are in the wish wash. They've come through, they've been baptized, but then they just kind of flounder around. And many do that for the entirety of their lives. And that is one of the very tasks uh, that is so dear to my heart to see no one get lost in the wilderness that we would all adopt a Caleb and a Joshua spirit. We're going through. We're going to cross that Jordan and move into the go part, which would then eventually be the very calling, the very purposes, living out the giftedness, the aptitudes that God has naturally given you. You've gotten through the wilderness. You've not only come out of Egypt, you've gone through the wilderness, and now you are making your way into living out the stewardship of your life where the parable of the minas was found. As I was thinking about the minas, I was thinking about you people who had not yet done this yet. And many people would learn or try to hear the story of the minas, and they would imagine that they would have to steward their life well, so that God would embrace them into his kingdom and they could become part of the family. And that is too opaque. That is too mystical. It's an unknown thing. And so you would struggle, and I would struggle to try to communicate this. So I felt in my spirit, we needed to do a couple of weeks on the come and the eat and the go scriptures so that you could understand that one day, even though I may not have followed chosen to follow Jesus yet, based on nothing I do. It's a free gift, but one day, if I take that free gift, I may be then living in stewardship of my life, living a life that's either stewarding it well or not. And Jesus was never afraid to talk about it in that context. It's not a bait and switch. It's all free, and then you go back and do what you want. It's giving your life away. It's picking up your cross. Jesus talked about that even to those that had not yet come and believed into him. But it gets all mixed and mired in people's minds. They think, well, what if I'm not stirring my life well? And, they, you know, I'm not really producing a lot of fruit. And am, am I back in Egypt? Has he kicked me to the curb? Has he thrown me back to Egypt? Am I back... Do I have to get saved again? Is there anybody here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you would raise your hand, <laughs> is anybody here ever walk the aisle, whatever your, ba- your theological background or your, your affiliation, walk the aisle maybe as a kid and then walked it again or got saved again or rebaptized? Raise your hand. Anybody ever done that? All right, so I'm not the only one. All right, so, and then the rest of you. Uh, no. 
I just look at all the people. So it's just kind of like, okay, am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? You can be settled that it is a free gift, and it's something you... It's by grace through faith, but then you're done with this part, the come part, and it's now time to eat. And if you don't understand that, you haven't eaten enough. So we're going to open with this passage. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believing Jewish community, and he was chastising them. They had been around all this for a while, right? Hebrews chapter 5. They should have been way past where they were, right? They had come to Christ. Clearly, they were part of this community. But they were still floundering around. What had happened? They hadn't been discipled. They hadn't eaten enough of the flesh of Jesus. Not literally, of course. They had not eaten his words Jesus said, those who abide in my words, those who abide in my words, they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. I've told, if you've been around me enough, I, it always grinds on me when, in the political season because I hear all kinds of politicians quoting, and then you'll know the truth. The Republican platform, the Democratic platform, the independent platform, or my platform, or whatever, the progressive platform, or what, whatever. That's what is going to set them free. No, they forgot the first part. If you will abide in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there is a setting free, a coming out of slavery that happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. But you still have a slave mentality. You know, that was the problem with the children of Israel. And as I've told you many times, Israel's story is our story. It's a template for us to understand our own personal spiritual journeys. And then by extension, a church's life, a church's spiritual journey of sorts, there's all kinds of things. That's the reason God gave us the Jewish people, so that they could walk it out in a physical realm and we could understand it in a spiritual realm, a realm that we were called to walk in, a realm that we could not see. They walked it out in a physical way. Hebrews chapter 5 we're going to look at verse 11, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 6, verse 8. I had all these pages. I was going to do all this today, and I, I, I emailed the guys this morning. I said, you know, you, we're not going to get through all this today. You do realize that. And, and the response was, we're shocked. Okay, so <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5. But we're not going anywhere unless Jesus comes back, and then it'll, we'll see the word face to face, and we'll become like him, as the Bible says. Okay, verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say. Now, who is this? And you're always asking the question, right? Because we're Bible nerds. We're, if you're eating, you want to become a Bible nerd. What does that mean? You want to just love the Bible so much that you actually start to understand it. So when something happens, you have a verse that pops into your mind through the Holy Spirit that you can draw from rather than, I have no idea what to do. I better call Pastor Paul. I better call, you know, I better call somebody. I better call Dr. Burst. You know, I, better, I don't know what to do. That's fine in the early stages. Baby, you know. So my, my, my daughter, my second daughter is, is imminent. It's imminent, her having her second child, who's already named Parker. So we have Emerson. Emerson's two, and they live with us. And, and her husband works at King's School. Some of you support King's School. And, uh, and so she, it's any day. She was really hoping she would have the child yesterday, uh, Parker. Yeah, now, look, 
She went 11-11, right? So she, she would always remember that. And so 11-11, she wanted the baby born. It didn't happen. And she's just, oh, when is this baby going to come? When is this baby going to come? Now, when, when Parker arrives, we don't have a whole lot of expectations, right? We're not going to say, okay, next week, you need to start cleaning up after yourself in the kitchen. <laughs> next week, I mean, it's time not to cry through the night and all. I mean, look, this is, this is a simple metaphor. This is exactly what Paul's going to draw. So here he is. He's talking to the Jewish community, the believing Jews, those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And here he says, we have a whole lot to say. By now, for this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers. You should be teaching other people about it. That doesn't mean you have to be a pulpiteer up here, you know. It just means that you should be able to teach other people about this kind. By now, you should be able to help people in the Scriptures, he says, but you have need again for someone to teach even the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And now he uses this child growth stage, and have, you've come to need milk and not solid food. Parker's going to need milk, not solid food. Emerson eats every single piece of solid food in our home. I mean, I, I've, I just, I'm like, never, there's never any food. I went in to get some blueberries today. We had some nice blueberries. I said, where are they? Oh, the baby got into him. He's ready for solid food. Parker's not going to be ready for that. He says, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk, well, they're not even accustomed, and then here's the metaphor, to the word of righteousness. Those people are infants. Now, how long had this believing Jewish community, when he wrote this, how this came down, had it been a year had it been two or three or four years? We don't know exactly. There's some speculation. But how long had these been people been believing, going to church, whatever? You know, for them, they would have been clandestine meetings at homes and things. There wouldn't have been a, a gathering this large. But how, how long? I don't know. But by now, you should be able to start talking to other people about this. You should be able to teach other people about this. As it is, you're not even ready for this word of righteousness because you haven't even adopted really in your own mind. You have not had a transformation in your own mind. There's a problem with that. You're infants. That's a hard assessment. You know, the Social Security guy, I mean, they'll tell you, it's a hard assessment. You know, when I first time I saw $542, I was like, that stinks. How did I make that little of money? And yet, Somehow we survived, but you know, I mean, God, that's terrible. Who can, who can live on that? And uh, it's hard to see that sometimes. But sometimes the Lord wants to say, yeah, you, you only made $542 last year. Come on. By now, you should be making more than that, as another analogy. Verse 14 says, solid food. It's for the mature. Who? Now, gets this. Who, because of practice practice. So Bob alluded to this. There's our part and there's God's part. God, it's all his power. It's his glory. It's his, it's incredible, but we have to participate. You have to engage. You cannot be a passive observer. There's something in our culture that's really problematic, which is one reason I talk about it all the time. And I, I am happy to talk about my sin too, and happy to talk about my failures and my lack of faith. And you're going to hear that. Uh, that we have something in America that is, and it's somehow it's crept into the evangelical church as well, and sometimes even other. But the point is, is that people kind of have the, you know, a, a little bit of a fanboy thing for whoever's preaching, and people come personalities and all this kind of thing. And I was so hesitant to even, you know, be on television or anything in the valley. And I was really, really 
not for that in the early stages. I just, I don't like that because it gives a perception that, that there's someone that we should really look up to, and then we're just passive participants. We're not engaged. I don't have a story or a journey or a process, but I'm listening to someone that maybe does. Nonsense. I'm on a journey, you're on a journey, or you're at least being invited into a journey. You're being invited by Jesus himself into one of the most incredible, profound struggles and highs and lows to walk with him, not only to have yourself lose your slave mentality, but in the end for you to come out the other end and be conformed into his likeness. He wants that for you, every one of us. I'm just as interested in your story. Are you even cognizant that you're part of the system? Do you get an update every year to tell you how you're doing and what this is looking like? You should be asking the Lord. Or if you're part of a community enough to where you're actually engaged and rubbing elbows with one another another, and people actually know, ask them, how do you see? Do you see growth in me? Do you see me changing before your eyes, or am I the same person I was 10, 15, 20 years ago? Do you see anything in me? If you, that's one thing I think where the Lord calls us to physically gather, not just on Sunday morning, but during the week and engage in fellowship and discipleship groups or whatever, or go out and feed the poor together, do coffee, have people over for dinner, get to know one another enough to where they can actually they could actually give you somewhat of their assessment. And don't be afraid of it. Say, this is a beautiful lifeline to my own understanding. We can fool ourselves for years. I'm an expert fooler of myself. Very good at it. Chapter 6 then. Practice. They've had their senses trained to discern good and evil. So at the end of 5. Now, that doesn't just mean, you know, killing somebody or not killing somebody. Discerning good and evil is much more nuanced than that. Because Satan comes as an angel of light. And sometimes he appears in your life, and you're not even aware. It looks good to you, but it's not the way of the Father. It may feel good in every way. And so to discern good and evil is not just morally correct or morally reprehensible, Discerning good and evil is actually discerning the path that he has for you versus all the tangential stuff that we run off into and get lost in. And sometimes we get lost for long periods of time. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. You know, not just for you. See, we personalize everything for the people that you are going to impact. That's a tragedy. People need you to be walking on your journey intimately. They need you to come to Christ to eat his flesh and to, to abide in his word and to come out the other end and go and do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus in the context of a missional community. You're going to hear me talk about that all the time. This is not just about our personal journeys. It includes it. It's about other people. Do you get that? That's huge. And it's very liberating too. It's not just about me. Me, 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 me. Chapter 6, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, what? The elementary teaching, leaving it, 
You mean we don't, know, we don't talk about it anymore? We don't No, In your own journey, there should be a place that I understand salvation. I don't need to revisit that. It's all Him. It's, a, it's an act of grace. It's by faith. I, I get that now. I don't, I don't go over here and say, oh, am I saved? Because I, I don't have, you know, maybe I'm not stewarding my mind as well enough. Now I got to go back here and I need to get saved again. And I, Look, that's just, there's such a wishy-washiness in that. Paul's trying to communicate Leave these te- not that you don't you don't leave the effect of these teachings or you don't leave the atmosphere that these teachings uh, get, lend themselves to. It's not that. It's that you don't have to rehash this over and over because it's already embedded in your own spiritual DNA. Get past that. Come on, leave the elementary teachings. Now, what's so far, I'll never forget as long as I live. The first time I started looking at this. And it was, a, it was a wonderful man. He spent a lot of time in Israel. He was a, a, one of the most astute guys. And he was more on the charismatic side. And he, so he, depending on what you think about Derek Prince, I'm telling you, was a spiritual mentor to me. I never met him. Uh, but I read all of his stuff. And he had this, my, my mom had given me after I came to Christ. I had come to Christ, but my, <laughs> I hadn't done any eating yet. And she knew it. She gave me this big old book. I don't know if she remember giving it to me. It was just this basic spiritual principles of the spiritual life. And once I, and it took a catastrophe in my life, but once that catastrophe occurred, I hit bottom and I was ready. Okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm not just going to like, eh, you go to church and do my deal. And basically, no, I'm going deep. And I went deep and I stayed and I underlined, I did. It was a, it was a, it was a huge, huge thing, you know, which is, it was, it was, it was a big book for me. I think the longest book, I, well, I want to go into that. But it was a big book, and so I just went through it, and it, the, the whole thing was predicated on this very passage. Now, these are the elementary teachings of Christ. You should be way past this by now. Are you ready? Catch this. Let us press on to maturity, not again laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Why are you keep rehashing? Now, we, there's an ongoing repentance that happens with anybody who's following Jesus. Forgive us our trespasses today as we forgive those who trespass against us. But in a foundational way, there is that moment that you say, I am a sinner. You are a holy God. I am completely fall at the, feet of the foot of the cross the blood is covering me. Thank you. I repent. I turn around. I choose to follow you. And, uh, and, and all the activity of my life, the works, all the, the way I was animated in the past, the things that drove me and motivated me, all of that, I lay at the foot of the cross and I, and I throw myself on your mercy. And, I, and would you, I, I allow all the wrath that abided on me to be placed vicariously on Jesus 2,000 years ago, and I believe into him, and now I realize that you punished him for me. He stood in my place. I received that. Uh, okay, now that, is a, that can happen in a moment's time. It's called justification. That happens in a moment's time, and you, you don't need to go back there again. You don't have to walk the aisle again. You don't have to wonder if, you, if you've done that, then you've done enough to be saved. But that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. The biggest problem in the West is that many people think that's where it ends. That's where your journey begins. It's not where it ends. Let me say that again. That is the beginning of your journey with the creator of the universe. 
It is not the end of your journey. You should, you should be done with that. Well, that's the come part, right? That's, the, that's this part. That's the first step. He says, then on, of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Do you know everything there is to know about that? Washing of hands, excuse me, the laying on of hands and the, wa- the, and the washings. And what does that mean? Baptism and, and what does all that mean? And resurrection, do you understand that you'll be resurrected into a real physical body that is no longer subject to decay? And this, or a wheelchair, or a, or a, or a degenerating mind, a mind that's going down. I mean, none of that. You're not going to be subject to that. You do understand that foundationally. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to be wishy-washy. You're going to fear death. You're going to fear all kinds of things. These are so elementary to your walk with Jesus. We should be way past that. And the, the fact that even as a believer, you're going to stand and give an account. That's what we're going to... If you understand that, that'll be how we'll talk about the minas and the talents and the various things that Jesus does. Talking about the go part. Does that make sense? Okay, so... And this we will do. We're going to press on if God permits. And he, uh, Church of the Red Door, he's going to permit this. Come at 8 o'clock on a Sunday. And get involved in that discipleship program. Be like, oh, I see the Smiths here. You know, Texas... Sunday school, right? You know, everybody, everybody went to Sunday school and then you go to church. Well, it's kind of like that. And it says, and this we will do. It says, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and powers of the age to come and have then fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. In other words, it's a cautionary tale. It doesn't say that they can't repent. It, notice what it says. And it says, they have tasted the good word of the powers of the age, have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them to repent. Some of those people get so hardened. If they follow Jesus for a little bit, and then they get so hardened that they can't find it in their hearts to repent anymore. And it's a real challenge. Now notice, verse 7, for the ground that drinks the rain... This is the eating and drinking part. This is the middle part, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those who, for whose sake it is to be tilled. They receive a blessing. That's the result then of the go part. So it's the eating part and then the go part. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. And so that's all, those are hard words. Look, what is Paul trying? The point that I bring this up, he's saying you're on a journey you're going to start, you're going to come to Christ, you're going to open the door, there's a million things, drink of the living water, you know, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, you know, see me as your shepherd. There's just a million different metaphors that are used in Scripture. In other words, walk through that first part. Repent. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk through that. Now, now you're in the wilderness. Now it's time to eat. You've been eating the wrong food. You've been eating Taco Bell, and now we're going to take you to Luna Grill. You're going to have nice salads, Greek salads, and a little bit of chicken and all that. I mean, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. But you're going to have to eat the right food now. And that's your part. Eat the right food. Are you eating the right food? Yeah. I, I watch Fox News. I eat it. Not that it's not the right food. I watch CNN. I watch this. I watch that. I'm, I'm on TikTok. I mean, you know, I, of course I'm eating the right food. Don't eat the right food. This. This. 
just eating it or being with people who are helping you eat it. And at first you may need a little spoon feeding. Someone dips in and then they feed it to you because you can't quite even get it into your own mouth. That's okay. That's why the church is here. That's why we're here, to help you eat it. But then you move on. And you get stronger, and you grow, and your muscles form. And at some point, you're like, okay, I'm ready. Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you gifted me to do? What and then you boldly go with, with your community, with your, with your giftedness, with your, and you boldly go and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to impact the Coachella Valley. Or we're gonna, I'm going to impact my neighborhood. Or I'm going to have an impact on my kids or my grandkids or whatever. And it's usually multidimensional. And then you go. I'll just say this in closing. You know, it, it's fascinating to me. So we did the groundbreaking, as, as, uh, as Randy alluded to, yesterday. And many of you told me that you drove by the property on 49th and Jefferson. By the way, have you been by it with a fence? It's the most huge piece of property I've ever seen in my life. This looks like half of India, honestly. It's incredible how big this thing is. I mean, we knew it was large, but seeing the fence around, is like, that's crazy. And that new house is being restored, that Walter Wyatt up there, that's the whole thing's been restored. A million dollars been poured into that, not by us, but by, and we had parceled that out, and it's beautiful. You can go on Airbnb and look at all the pictures. It's incredible what they have done already in a restorative process. So it's like this hill's being restored. But many of you told me you had driven by when we had all those rains, and all the property looked like it was completely green. You couldn't see any sand. It was just like green. If you took a picture of that, send it. To Randy, myself, Paul, whoever, just make sure that we get it. We'll play it. We'll show it next week. It was covered in green. The whole property, the whole property was covered in green. And then yesterday, we went out there, and all of us ruined our shoes. <laughs> well, we were going to have a, by the way, just allow, allow me to say, we were going to have a big groundbreaking, invite everybody, but it, was, it would have been impossible. And now, knowing what we know with all these there were so many thorns on that property, so many thorns on that property that we all got in trouble from our wives because we went traipsing in with stickers and in our cars and all that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, you, just could, you couldn't even get all the thorns out of the bottom of your shoes. And so some of the guys said, I just threw my shoes away. I mean, it was, well, I was thinking about that this morning. I said, if there's a beautiful metaphor, you say, you know, what, what are we as a collective community called to do? And there it was. That whole piece of property is going to be not only physically restored, that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is the people that are going to flood in there and from around the country, both on the link side, the Church of the Red Door, the community around it, the impact it's going to have, the training that's going to go on there, the, the nuanced vision of having, you know, inviting various people in to talk and have community events and all those kinds of things. I think that and the strategic location that is there. I had someone from some other churches, they go, that's an unbelievable location. And it was, blessed me to know, one of the leaders at Southwest says, I, every, day, every day I drive by it, I pray for you guys, praying for Church of the Red Door, praying. What are we praying? We'd have just a lot of people and the giving would go up. No, that's not what we're praying, although we do pray that. Uh, that's not what we're praying about. What we're praying about is that the curse, what happened with the curse? If you go to Genesis 3. You know, the ground's going to be cursed. It's going to be full of thorns. It's going to be difficult labor filled with thorns. 
But guess what happens? On all the prophets see it. There's this process of thorns and degradation and disappointment and death and all these things, and then it's going to come back to life. I'm telling you, the, the trailer's already up, Losardi with a big Losardi on the side. You go, you can't see it behind the fence. The trailer's already up. They're going to be starting to level that ground. And all the things that are going to happen, why? Because that thing literally, and even more importantly, much more importantly, spiritually, is going to go from curse to blessing, from thorns to fig trees. If you look to the prophets, every time spiritual restoration, pomegranates, fig trees, and if you didn't know this already, I told this to you a couple years ago in Indian Wells. That was a pastor who built that house, that whole property, and that, if you can imagine, it was a fig grove in the 50s, that whole piece of property. You think that's by chance? I don't. That's going to go from thorns to fig trees. Now, how's that going to happen? It's not going to happen with just a bunch of people that have just gotten saved. It's going to happen with intentionality, with people that lay down their lives to disciple one-on-one, time spent, women caring about women, caring about youth. You know, we're, we're going to be a church that's going to have an exploding youth, I believe, at some point. We've got nothing of that now. It's going to change the dynamics. From curse to blessing. But we have to leave the elementary teachings behind. We must. We must help people. And I'm going to go into this a little bit more in depth and give you some scriptures. Bring your, bring your notes next time. And uh, we're going to get into the Church of the Red Door. We have a calling. If I didn't believe that, I'd be long gone. I wouldn't be here. The Lord has us there for a reason, church at the Red Door. That location. People are going to be driving by and their cars are just going to turn right in. <laughs> and they're not going to know why. And where are they going to be? Well, some of them might have eaten some. some. Some might even be ready to go, mature. But many haven't even done this yet. Because they don't even know if God exists. And if He exists, He must be mad at me. And, that, and we're going to say, we're going to preach the gospel, and they're going to do this, and they're going to enter in, and our, and our work, right at that point, our work is just beginning. Just beginning. Does that make sense? All right. Well, uh, Pastor Paul's going to come up and pray. Listen to, the so- listen to the words of this song. So think in terms of those things. He says, come, eat, and then go. Listen to the words. I know we're a little long today. And everybody said, well, we're used to that. Uh, a little long. We're, we're almost a. We're getting almost a charismatic church kind of thing, aren't we? You know, we're they two, two, three hours, and they hadn't even started yet. You know, so hang in there. Uh, listen to the words of the song. Just talk to let let this speak to your spirit, and then Paul come up and close us. Hey, I'm glad to be back with you, Church of the Red Door. I'm glad to be back with you. And don't don't you dare ask me about my arm because I'm asking you about you. All right.